So we are in our eighth week of the Apostles' Creed. And for those who may be here for the first time, I want you to understand what we're doing with the, with the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is one of the oldest confessions of the Christian faith. It was written, it was compiled around three to 400 A.D. after the resurrection of Christ. And it represents the core foundational doctrines of the faith. Now, after the Apostles' Creed, there were other creeds that were compiled uh, throughout church history that are more robust and have more information and, and really fill in a lot of details that the Apostles' Creed doesn't. But I, but I think the Apostles' Creed does a good job, has been doing a good job for us in giving us a big picture view of what the essentials of our faith are. So we've walked all the way through this for seven weeks. And I just want to say Pastor Dom is not here in the moment, but he did a great job last week in, in preaching a difficult subject. The Apostles' Creed confesses that, that we believe that judgment, that the Lord does bring judgment, that he will judge the living and the dead, that there will be judgment and the wrath of God is real. And so he did a great job tackling that subject. I was very happy to see how he handled that. And so this week we are onto the next section of the Apostles' Creed, and it's really a simple confession. I believe or we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And so this message is about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What do we confess about the ministry of the Holy Spirit? So can you pray with me? And then we'll dive in. God, we thank you this morning for your word. And so we are going to look at this confession that we have confessed as Christians since, since, the, since the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, Lord, that we believe in the Holy Spirit. We, we, we believe that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, that he is at work and he is alive and at work in the lives of believers and in the world. And God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Help us bring us understanding today. And God, I pray that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus began to talk to his disciples. And in the Gospels, you can see he tried to prepare them for the reality that he was going away. If you remember back, I talked to you uh, when we talked about the ascension. We talked about Christ being seated at the right hand of the Father. And we looked at the realities of what a seated Christ tell us. And I told you at the beginning of that message that one of the greatest realities of the ascended Christ is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that we were going to get to it this Sunday. And Jesus talked to them that he was going away. And they were all confused. And they would say, well, where are you going? And he says, well, where I'm going, you can't go yet, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, and, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to bring you to myself. And he said, he said but don't be afraid. I'm going, to, I'm going to send you some help. But they were afraid. Can you imagine sitting in the disciple's seat? This is not only the, the Messiah. This is not only the, the Jesus who healed the sick and raised the dead and did many wonderful miracles and who, pro, and who would preach and would teach with such power. And clarity in their hearts were gripped. These disciples for three and a half years walked with him. So can you imagine their dismay whenever he says, I'm leaving? And they don't understand. They didn't understand half of what he was saying. And they certainly didn't understand where he was going. And so for him to say that would have been very troubling. Look at what John 16 says. I do not say these things to you, Jesus is saying, from the beginning because I was with you. He says, I didn't tell you that I was going away in the beginning because I'm here. But... Now I am going to him who sent me. I'm going to the Father. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, if I do not ascend, if I don't go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So before we get into some practical aspects of the, the Holy Spirit's ministry in the world and in the life of a believer in the church. Let's, let's answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the, whole, the Holy Spirit? Well, by way of looking at a, a statement of faith, this, this is who the Holy Spirit is. That, that there is but one living and true God, an infinite all-knowing spirit, perfect in all his attributes, one in essence. God is one. Eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each equally deserving worship and obedience. So the Holy Spirit is uh, the third member of the Godhead, of the Trinity. The Apostles' Creed is Trinitarian in nature. We yet, and this is the mystery we talked about a few weeks back, about the mystery of the Trinity. How is it that God is one, yet he is three? 
And so this is a divine mystery, but it is a clear revelation in Scripture. As you look through Scripture, you see the Trinity. You look back in Genesis at creation. You had the Father, and then you have the Son at creation. In John chapter 1, it says that Jesus was in the beginning, and that nothing that was created was created without Christ. But you also had the Holy Spirit at creation in Genesis. It says that the Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. And you look throughout Scripture, you see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit Yet they're one. It's a divine mystery. It's unexplainable to our human understanding. This is what makes God, God. And we're not. But the Holy Spirit is not a force. Right? It's not Star Wars. This is not Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is not a force. He is the third member of the Trinity. He is the third person of the Trinity. And he has attributes that he can be grieved. He can be sorrowful. Right? He can teach. He can instruct. He can illuminate. He's the third person of the Trinity. Scripture declares that the Holy Spirit is not a force, but is in actuality fully God. Fully God. So if you don't believe in the Holy Spirit, you don't believe in God. Right? So we believe in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we believe in God. We believe in God as manifested, as, as represented in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. What are some of the ministries that the Holy Spirit does? I'm going to read a, just a, a, an, an overview list, and this is, this is not all of them that are in Scripture. And on the back of your handout, if you want to go study later in your private time, you, I have this list on there with the Scripture references. So here's an overview of Holy Spirit ministries as revealed in Scripture. He adopts, Romans 8. He baptizes. He convicts. He empowers He fills, he guards, he helps, he illuminates, he indwells, he gives gifts, he intercedes, he produces fruit, he regenerates, he reminds, he convicts of sin, he reveals truth, he sanctifies, he seals, he sends, he strengthens, and he teaches. So why do you think Jesus said it's advantageous that he goes away? This is what it means. This is what it means, is that now, that when Jesus goes away, now the Spirit will dwell inside every believer, and these are the ministries that the Holy Spirit will do in the life of every Christian, and even more that aren't listed there. So the Holy Spirit, though, there's this list, but the Holy Spirit's primary function, and this is a thread I want you to not forget throughout the rest of this sermon, the primary ministry or function of the Holy Spirit is to bring glory to Christ. That is the primary purpose of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, how he ministers in our life and the gifts that he gives us. The purpose of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. He's not about himself. He's about Christ being seen. He's about Christ being exalted. He's about the gospel moving forward in our lives. He's about us becoming more like Christ. The primary purpose of the ministry of the Spirit is the glorification of of Jesus Christ. And this should function as a filter for us. When we think about the ministry of the Spirit and we want to evaluate, well, what is a true ministry of the Holy Spirit? You have one question to ask yourself. Does it glorify Christ or does it glorify man? That's a filter. The number one job of the Spirit is to point people through the word, through preaching, through your life as you live by the fruit of the Spirit is to point people to Christ. So that's a filter that we can use It can help us to understand, is the Holy Spirit working? You know, sometimes people will say about churches. Some churches have the Holy Spirit and some churches don't. Or I don't feel the Holy Spirit here. That's that's not a reality. That is not a truth. Why? If there are believers in the building, I can tell you, the Holy Spirit's here. How many believers do we have here today? You know what? The Holy Spirit's here. I was looking at Pumpkin Patch the other day. When we had all these thousands of people on our campus a few weeks back, which I don't have a total yet. I was supposed to get a total for you, but I'll I'll, I'll tell you a total next week. But I do believe it's, well, I'll tell you next week. Um, So it's a lot of money that the Lord has blessed us to give to missionaries. But I was looking out at, at the property, at all the volunteers serving. And I was looking out and I thought, look at the Holy Spirit at work. Look at that. Look at the Holy Spirit at work through the lives of his people on the hayride and in the maze and taking tickets and selling tickets and serving food and and wrapping burgers and and hot dogs. Look at the Spirit at work. So when people say, well, I don't feel the Spirit. I don't feel the Spirit moving here. It's because they're looking for certain things that they have characterized as the moving of the Spirit. 
But if there are believers in the building, and if there are believers working in the fruit of the Spirit in their life, and Christ is being glorified, and the gospel is being preached, you can rest assured the Spirit is there. Because that is the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit. Far too often we base our belief about the Spirit's work in the life of a church based upon what we feel in our emotions. Well, I don't feel him here. He's here whether you feel him or not. Because he's in dwelling every believer. So, Scripture must be our guide. Scripture must be our guide to help us recognize the Holy Spirit's work. So this is what we're going to do. have three areas. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit's work as revealed in Scripture. And we're going to unpack those and, and, and just have a, an overview. This is, a, this is what we do with the Apostles' Creed. There's some details I'm going to prepare you in advance. There's some details I'm not going to explain to you at this point. But whenever we go through 1 Corinthians verse by verse on a Sunday morning, I'll go into some more of those details. But right now, we're just going to look at an overview of the Holy Spirit's ministry. So what does Scripture say? Firstly, Scripture says this. This is our first point. The Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's straight from John 16. This is what the Spirit will do. And Jesus is telling his disciples that. Look at John 16. He says, nevertheless, I'll tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Speaking of the world, speaking of non-believers. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So what is Jesus saying here about the conviction of the world, the Spirit's job to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment? What does that mean? What does it mean that he is doing that? You know, Scripture says in John 6, Jesus said that no one comes to the Father. No one comes to the Father unless the, the, the Father draws him first, unless they're drawn by the Father. And so this is the reality that the Holy Spirit is the means with which God draws people to Christ. And so how, do, how does God do that? Well, the first area was sin. So he says, he says the Spirit convicts the world, non-believers, of sin. What does that mean of sin? Now, it's interesting when Jesus said of sin, he didn't say sins, plural. He said sin. It's singular. There's lots of sins people can do, right? You can commit adultery. You can look at pornography. You can lie. You can bear false witness. You can curse. You can steal. You can sin in many different ways. And all of those individual sins that people commit are not what ultimately will send them to eternal judgment, as Dom talked about last Sunday. It's not the individual sins that damn a person. It is the sin of the rejection of Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate sin. And this is the ministry of the Spirit to show the world that Jesus is the way. To show the world that there is no other way to the Father except through Him. And this is what happens in your life as believers whenever you live your Christian testimony in front of of your unbelieving friends and maybe even family members. The gospel, when you preach it through your life and through your words, it shows them and the Spirit uses your life and your words and the gospel to convict the world that they don't believe correctly about Jesus. The second area is righteousness. So what, what is Jesus saying about righteousness? And, and notice the text said there, he convicts the word about righteousness, and, and then he says, because I go to the Father. So that's an interesting words that Jesus said there. What, what does that mean that he, because he went to the Father, he convicts the world of righteousness? What it means is, is that when Jesus, think about when Jesus walked the earth. What did, what did he do? One of his primary things that he did was to uncover and to expose the hypocrisy of those who thought they could be righteous on their own. He exposed hypocrisy. Those who were self-righteous. Those who said, well, I am going to be righteous on my own like the scribes and the Pharisees or, or the rich young ruler, right? I'm going to be righteous on my own. I don't need any other help. I, I am going to keep the law and be righteous. And Jesus exposed the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees. And he looked at them and he said, you are like whitewashed tombs. You are a brood of vipers. He looked at the religious leaders of the Jews and this is what he told them. You're a brood of vipers. You're a whitewashed tomb. You're, you're hypocrites. You're hypocrites. So because Jesus says, he says, I'm going to the Father. Now the Holy Spirit is going to pick up the ministry that Jesus left. 
Jesus went to the Father, and now the Spirit is going to do the same thing. And he's going to convict the world. First of all, Jesus is the only way. Secondly, you can't be right on your own. If you think that you can be right on your own and your own righteousness is going to make you right with God, the Holy Spirit will convict you here today. If you're not a Christian, he will convict you that it is not by your own strength, not by your own will, not by your ability to be right on your own. What does Scripture say? Romans 3.10. There's no one is righteous. Do you hear me today? No one is righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.23 says, We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Holy Spirit points to Christ as the one true way of salvation. And his ministry to the world also says, If you're trying to climb the ladder of good works, you are missing the point. Jesus is the once for all sacrifice for your sins. There's only one means of becoming righteous before God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, He who knew no sin... Jesus knew no sin. He became sin so that we might become what? The righteousness of God only through Christ. And this is what the Holy Spirit points to. The Holy Spirit works through the preaching of the word to reveal to sinful humanity that they are not righteous before God and that they need the righteousness of God imputed to them through what? Through faith in Christ's finished work. Lastly, sin, righteousness, judgment. What does it mean? about judgment and it says it says judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged what does jesus mean he convicts the world of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged what that means is is that is that the ruler of this world satan has been judged as a fraud he's been judged as a liar he's been judged as a deceiver he's been defeated and so what this is saying is this the holy spirit convicts the world concerning the lies of the evil one And reveals that his fate, Satan's fate, will be their fate unless they repent. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit does. You know, maybe there's some of you here today and and you think, there's people I know, there's no way that they will see Jesus for who he is. There's no way that they'll, they'll quit counting on their own righteousness. There's no way that they're going to escape judgment. There's no way that they're going to believe. Some of you here today, you have loved ones or friends or coworkers in your life, and you're thinking, there's no way. I just don't see how it's possible. I want to tell you here today, don't ever underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't ever underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin of their unrighteousness and the judgment that is to come. The Spirit can work in many different ways to get the gospel message into the heart of those that don't believe. The Bible says that that God wishes that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. This is the Holy Spirit's work. I love what John 3 says. It's not going to be on the text. It's not going to be on the screens there, but Jesus talks to Nicodemus, a Pharisee. Nicodemus was one of the ones who counted on his own righteousness, right? And so he comes to Jesus at night. He's afraid because he doesn't want to be seen by his fellow Pharisees. Comes to Jesus at night and says, Jesus, you're doing all these things and surely you're from God. And, and so Jesus says, and he, so he tells Jesus, so what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And, and Nicodemus says, well, I don't know how that's possible. And that may be how you feel, just as I was telling you. That may be how you feel. How is it possible for them to be born again and for them to be born again? And that person, they're so, they're so messed up in sin, I don't know how. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus with his doubting about how can someone be born again? Jesus says, look at the wind. He gave him an, an, an illustration. Look at the wind. And maybe it was windy that night. I think it probably was. This sounds like what Jesus would do. Probably windy that night. He said, look, you see the trees? See how the wind blows? You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. But so it is for everyone who is born of the Spirit. You're only born again through the convicting work of the Holy Spirit of your sin, your unrighteousness, and the judgment of God. Jesus says, hey, it's the work of God. It's the work of the Spirit. He can do anything. Amen? I want to say this real quick before we get to the next thought here about the Holy Spirit's ministry. This filter, this filter, here's another filter for us. The, the, The Holy Spirit's ministry, hear me, the Holy Spirit's ministry to the world, to the sinner, is to convict them 
of their sin, of rejecting Jesus, of their inability to be right on their own, and of the reality of judgment. How is that a filter? This is how it's a filter. If any preacher or pastor does not preach a message that points the sinner to the reality of their sin, their inability to be righteous, and the reality of future judgment, the Holy Spirit is not empowering that message. Any gospel message, if it's a gospel message to an unbeliever that does not align with what Scripture shows us is the Holy Spirit's convicting and convincing work of sin, righteousness, and judgment, that message is a false gospel. If a pastor or a preacher does not preach sin, the reality of sin, the reality of their unrighteousness before God, and the reality of judgment, it is not a Holy Spirit-led message. I can promise you that. Because there's only one way that people will be saved. It's to understand they need saving. And the only way they can understand they need saving is to understand what their sin is. Their ultimate sin of rejection of Christ and his finished work on the cross. The Holy Spirit, that's what he does. Dr. Albert Moeller puts it like this. Where you find a bold, biblical, urgent, accurate, enthusiastic, joyful, and life-changing testimony of Christ, you can rest assured that the Holy Spirit is vibrantly at work. Amen? The Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will point to Christ. The Spirit will seek to glorify Jesus as a matter of first importance. And secondly, here this morning, the Holy Spirit, now in the life of the believer, indwells believers and produces fruit. So now we move to the church. Now we move to you and I as believers here today. What does the Holy Spirit do in our life? Well, it's clearly he, he indwells believers and he produces fruit. It's straight from the text. John 14, Jesus speaking, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it never sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells, this is important, he dwells, speaking to his disciples, he dwells with you. And he's pointing future tense, and he will be in you. He's looking at these disciples that have been following him for three and a half years, and he's telling them, the Spirit's been with you, but there's a time coming. The promise of the Father is going to come, and he's not just going to be with you, but he's going to be what? In you. And so Acts chapter 2 comes. Before the Holy Spirit, before Acts 2, and the, the, the promise of the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2. The Holy Spirit would dwell with Old Testament saints and it would empower Old Testament saints for specific purposes and, and missions that God would send, would, would, would send them on to accomplish God's purposes in the earth. But after the ascension of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, now at salvation, this is what Jesus is pointing to. The Spirit will now be in you, dwelling in you. And Scripture confirms it again. Romans 8, this is the, the Apostle Paul. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells where? In you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So how do you know you're a Christian? You have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you. They go together. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your immortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So the dwelling of the Holy Spirit happens at salvation. He comes and he indwells every believer when they confess Christ as their Savior. He comes and indwells them. And so the obvious question is, okay, well, that sounds good. Anybody can say, I got the Spirit, right? Hey, I'm saved and I got the Holy Spirit. Do you have the Holy Spirit? You can tell me, yes, I, I, I got it. But how do I know? How do I know the Spirit dwells? Well, well, this is what the Holy Spirit does. This is the sanctifying work of the Spirit. This is what it means that he indwells and then he does what? Produces fruit of his indwelling. So what does the Spirit do? What, what does he use? Jesus prayed in John 17 when he talked about us becoming like Christ. He prayed to the Father and said, Father, these disciples, I pray that you would sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So it is the word of God that the spirit uses to sanctify our hearts. So one of the evidences that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of your life is that you have a desire for God's word. 
You want to hear God's word taught. That's why you're here today. You want to study the word of God. You want to read it on a daily basis. You want to meditate on Holy Scripture because that's a proof that the Holy Spirit is, is in you. I just want to challenge you with this. If you have indifference towards Scripture and you say, well, this sermon's just too long. I wish you wouldn't read so much Scripture. Why does he read so much Scripture? I know, I, I get that criticism. I read too much Scripture. Well, or, or, or he's just, you know... It's just, you know, some days I just don't feel like reading the Bible and, and I could take it or leave it. If that's your indifference, you need to ask the Lord to check your heart. Because the way that God sanctifies our life is through the sanctifying, the, the, the cleansing and the transformational work of the Word of God. That's how He does it. Look, look, look at the ministry of the Spirit. Look at John 14. These things I have spoken to you. Jesus says, I've spoken these things to you, speaking to his disciples. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will do what? He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Well, so it's one of the primary ways, ministries of the Spirit, is to teach us the words of Christ. And where do we find the words of Christ? In the Word of God. This is why there's a connection between our spiritual growth and the evidence of the Spirit's dwelling. It's the Holy Scriptures because the Spirit seeks to teach us the Word of God, to illuminate Scripture so we can understand it, so we can grow in the faith. As we sit under the teaching and the preaching of the Word, as we expose ourselves to biblical truth, the Holy Spirit works to illuminate, to teach, and to remind us of the Word of God. And the result of the Holy Spirit's work indwelling work through the word the result of the indwelling work of the word in our heart is what the fruit of the spirit it's the fruit of the spirit we see that in galatians 5 so what is the fruit of of the spirit i want to read some more scripture to you listen to this if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law meaning that you don't like the law is not your means for righteousness now now the works of the flesh are evident Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He just said, I I can't list any more, but there's a lot of other ones, right? I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, by contrast, the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work through the word of God in our life is what? Is Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, right? So the Holy Spirit's at work in the heart of a believer to equip and empower us to live a godly life. So how's your love life? How's your peace life? Right? How's your patience life? Look, we're not all going to get it perfect. And we, we, the, the, the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of his work in our life, we are not perfected until we get to heaven, right? We're going to be working those things out in our life. But there should be evidence, if, the, if you're a believer, because of the Holy Spirit's indwelling work through the word, there should be evidence that you're becoming like Christ. People should know it. People should know it. Do, do they know it in your life? Have you heard the old story of the couple that gets married? They get married and the husband tells the wife, I love you, honey, with all my heart. And then they're married for 30 years and the wife goes to leave the husband and the wife says, you never told me you loved me. You never demonstrated. And he says, honey, I told you when we got married and that should have been enough. I don't know why the men always get blamed for that. I've never heard the story flip the other way. Have you? Where the, where the wife says, I told you once. No, it's always the man. We're the losers. Um, but it seems like what a man would do. I don't know. <laughs> I told you once, honey. But um, it's the same principle. I told you I'm a Christian. Why do I got to show you again? No, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is that we are progressively becoming more like Christ. I'm, look, I'm going to be impatient with you maybe sometime, sweetheart. <laughs> right? But the goal is, is that I'm less impatient next month and next year than I am this year. I'm going to walk in ways that are unloving and ungodly, but because the Spirit dwells in me through the power of the Word of God working in my life, the fruit will continually be developed. So I can't say as a Christian, well, I prayed the prayer, I confessed Christ, and then I kind of just went and did my own thing. That's not Christianity. If there is no evidence 
in your heart and in your life, there's no evidence in your life of a transformation in the way you live, I would challenge you to evaluate whether or not you are in the faith, whether you've truly confessed Christ. Because I know, according to Scripture, that if you've confessed Christ, the Spirit's in you, and he's working through the Word to change you. So if there is no evidence of transformation, then there's no evidence of the Spirit's work in you. You guys follow me? This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The sanctifying work of the Spirit is what God has promised will happen in the lives of genuine believers. So that's the first work. The first work of the Spirit is that he convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And secondly, he works inside the heart of believers to sanctify and produce spiritual fruit that can be enjoyed by others. The fruit that's produced in our life, the purpose of it is so that you can enjoy it. When you interact with me, man, that guy is so nice. He's so patient. He's so kind. He's so loving. He's so gentle. I just want to be around him. Have you ever been around somebody that's not doesn't demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, you don't want to be around them. But whenever the Spirit's at work and producing that fruit, people are like, man, let me take a bite out of that. That is good. That's fun to be around them. All right, lastly this morning, what's another work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church and in us as believers? Lastly, the Holy Spirit will fill and empower believers with spiritual gifts. So he convicts the world. He indwells the believer, produces fruit, and lastly, he fills and empowers us as Christians with spiritual gifts. So just as I said just a second ago that spiritual fruits for other people to take part in and to enjoy, right, when they're around us, the same thing is true with spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not for you. Holy Spirit gifts are not for me. They're for you. Right? I, I hope that the Holy Spirit has gifted me to preach. That's not for me, right? That's for you. The Holy Spirit has given me other gifts, and those gifts are not for me or for my pleasure or for my benefit. Those Holy Spirit gifts are for you. They're for the world. They're for unbelievers, and they're, they're for the church. They're, they're to see the gospel move forward, but they're for the church, for the building up of the body of Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit does when he gives. He, he empowers, he fills and empowers us with gifts. It's for other People. And I think we really need that filter as we get through this section that we're going to go through here next. We must understand, first of all, what's the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit's ministry? To point to Christ, to glorify Christ. And that's what should take place in our life. When we have Holy Spirit gifts in our life, the purpose is not about us or what we experience. It's about others coming to know Christ if they don't know him and to be more like Christ if they do. Okay? Now, and in, in, in there's a few sections in the, New, in the New Testament we could look at that would unpack spiritual gifts, Holy Spirit gifts. But there's one in particular that is the most famous, has a lot of details that can be very confusing. So this is my caveat I told you at the beginning. I in no way am going to answer all your questions about 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. But I'm going to endeavor to kind of go through it a, a little bit and look at some very confusing sections and just give us an overview of what the Holy Spirit does and what the purpose is. So before I do that, you have to understand the context of 1 Corinthians. Now, 1 Corinthians was written to the church at Corinth. Now, I don't believe in any way that we deserve a letter like the church at Corinth got. Who's, who's read the book of 1 Corinthians? And if you've read the book of 1 Corinthians, you know that we probably don't deserve a letter like Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Because the church at Corinth was a messed up church. They had a lot of problems in their church. And that's actually the context of the entire letter of 1 Corinthians. It's, hey, this is a little off. What are y'all doing? Have you lost your minds? Right? It, you can read in between the lines what Paul is saying in, in, in his corrections. You guys are going mad. It's, it was a messed up church. Just an overview. Here are some things that were happening at the church at Corinth. There were divisions in the church. What were, the, what were the divisions? The divisions were, he clearly says it, some follow Paul and some follow Apollos. And you got one group is saying, well, I'm going to follow this leader and I'm going to follow this leader. And there were divisions. Well, I like how he preaches and I like how he preaches or I like how she sings and I like what they do. And there's divisions. And, and Paul comes in and says, hey, what are you doing? Is Christ's body divided or is it one? Is it divided or is it one? 
Is Paul preaching Christ? Is Apollos preaching Christ? Yeah, you can't have divisions in the church, but they were a very divided church. Secondly, there was sexual immorality in the church. And he even tells you what kind. A man was with his stepmother. A man was having an affair with his stepmom in the church at Corinth. I told you, it's a little crazy. There were lawsuits taking place between believers. He comes and says, can it be that you are suing each other and bringing it to the local courts? Shouldn't it be that you could get a mediator within the church to work out your issues? This shouldn't be so that brothers and sisters who should be one are divided because of offense and they got to go to an outside unbeliever to settle their disputes. He says it shouldn't be that way. Well, you should not be suing each other. There was controversy about food offered to idols. There's people who were new Christians who come, came from a, 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 a Jewish background in the, old, in the early church. And there were some Gentile Christians. The Gentile Christians, they'd eat anything. They'd eat the crawfish from the ditch. And the Jewish Christians were saying, I can't eat the crawfish from the ditch. That's unclean. And he's telling the, the Cajuns in the room, he's saying, don't eat the crawfish in front of the people who it's going to defile their conscience. And there's divisions because of that. You need to be gracious towards one another. What was, a, what was a, a, another area? There was confusion about the roles of men and women in the home and in the church. There was confusion culturally about what, what, what was going on. How should, a, how should a woman respond to her husband in submission? And what does that look like in the life of the, of the local church. And he has a, a section that's very confusing about head coverings. And when we ever go through 1 Corinthians, I'll try to explain that to you, but not right now. Um, here's another one. This is crazy. There was drunkenness and debauchery taking place with the Lord's Supper. So we, we just had the communion cup. And it'd be like we get a fifth of Jack Daniels and we just say, hey, pass it around and let's have communion this morning. He tells them, he says, he says, why when you get together and you celebrate the Lord's Supper, do you turn it into this feast where everyone's drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking? You're, it, it, it's, it's, it's idolatry. There's drunkenness and debauchery going on around the celebration of the Lord's Supper. This should not be so. I, I told you it was a messed up church. I wasn't joking. Then he switches. And he says this. Look at 1 Corinthians 12.1. Now concerning spiritual gifts. This is so important. All the way up, first 11 chapters. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Correction, 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 correction. Now, there's another area I got to talk to you about. Spiritual gifts. Look, look, look what he says here. Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. What does that mean? It means they had been ignorant. They'd been functioning in the area of spiritual gifts in a way that is, was not godly, in a way that was not promoting what, what's the main filter for the Holy Spirit's role? The glorification of Christ. They had flipped the priorities of the church. Okay, spiritual gifts. What does Paul say after he says, I don't want you to be ignorant? He says, okay, I'll tell you what the spiritual gifts are. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You follow that. That's what I've been telling you. It's for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. So those are the gifts. These are the ones I'm not going to explain to you <laughs> this morning because we don't have time. But notice what verse 11 says. And this is so important. Listen. All these that I just listed to you, that Paul just listed to us, are empowered by the one and the same spirit. Who does what? who apportions to each, to me, to you, to you, to you, to you, if you're a believer, he apportions to each according to his, what? Don't forget that. That's so important. It's not according to my will. It's not because I want that gift, so God's going to give it to me. I want that spiritual gift because I really like that one. It, uh, it really benefits me a lot. I, would really, I see someone else has that gift, and I would really want that gift. No, 
God apportions the gifts as he wills. These are his gifts. Now, I know there's confusion, and I wish the teacher in me wants to explain all this, but I got 10, 15 minutes left, and and I don't have time, but I promise you I, I will as we go through Corinthians at some point in my pastorate. We will explain these. But, the, but the, the big point is this, that those gifts, prophecy and tongues and working of miracles and, and knowledge and wisdom and all these things, those are Holy Spirit gifts. Clearly, in Scripture, it says that they are. But the one who gives them and the one who has control over them is not us. It's God. He gives them as he wills. And look, to further his argument, look, look he, he continues in chapter 12. And he talks, he, so, so now he's going to give them an example Look at 1 Corinthians 12. He get, tells them what the gifts are. He says, you're ignorant about the gifts. Let me tell you what the gifts are. You're not working them properly. Let me tell you what the gifts are. And let me give you an example. Look, look what he says here. Now, you are the body of Christ, individual member, individually members of it. And God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of helping or healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? They're rhetorical questions. The answer, I can answer Paul's question. The answer is no. Not everyone has each gift. Not everyone is going to have each gift. Now, what is his example here? He goes, he, he goes in further into 1 Corinthians 12, and he goes into that section about the spiritual gifts, and, and he gives them a visual example. He says the body of Christ is like a body. And the eye can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. Well, I've got the gift of tongues, and so I'm, I, I, I don't need you because I'm a little bit better than you. I've got a little bit higher knowledge. Or I've got the gift of prophecy, and, and, and you just don't have that gift, and so you're, you're, you're not at the same level that I am. Paul is saying, you've been ignorant about these gifts, and you've been categorizing people in different levels, and, and, and you're getting it wrong. God gives the gifts. Do all prophesy? Do all speak in tongues? Are all apostles? Do all work miracles? He says no, and it is just like this. The body can't say to each other, I have no need of you. The eye can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. The, the, the ear can't say to the nose, you're lesser. No, I mean, some people have funny looking ears and, and noses, but, but just because my nose doesn't look like your nose doesn't mean that my nose is better than your nose. Just because I have one gift doesn't mean that your gift is less needed. Do you guys follow? This is the correction Paul is giving because what was happening in the church at Corinth, and it, he, he goes later on as you go through 1 Corinthians 12 and especially into 14, he starts bringing some correction. This is what he says was going on. He says, outsiders are coming into the assembly and everybody's speaking in tongues. He said, nobody's interpreting. They're all speaking in tongues. And he says, if an outsider comes in, an unbeliever comes in, they're going to look at you and say, are you drunk? Actually, the words he used were, have you lost your mind? He says, it shouldn't be so. And he gives instruction. He says, if there's going to be unintelligent, if there's going to be a tongue, there needs to be interpretation. And he goes on and he says, he says, look, I would much rather you speak five syllables of intelligible language. It says that in 1 Corinthians 14. Five syllables of intelligible language than 10,000 of an unknown tongue. Why? He says it because others are edified and the gospel gets to be preached. He said, you've been, you've been misplacing and misusing these gifts and, and this is what I have seen growing up in church is that I've, I've grown up in churches where gifts have been misused and misplaced and have been abused and people have been placed in certain categories because if you have that gift, well, then you have arrived to a certain level of spirituality. And if you don't have that gift, it's because you haven't been seeking God hard enough. You haven't been pressing in. If you'd press in a little bit more, then maybe God would give you that gift. What does the Bible say? When he listed those gifts, he said, he gives them as he wills. Do all speak in tongues? Do all prophesy? Do all? The answer is no. He has control over that. So we should never be an eye who says to the foot, why aren't you like me? The Bible says we can't do that. The Bible says, hey, if God's going to give you a gift, he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And if he's going to give you a gift, he'll give you that gift. He, will, he won't withhold any good thing that you need in your spiritual life. Do you believe that? 
So for those of you, maybe you, you may think, well, I just, I don't understand that. And it really is difficult for, for me to hear. Well, here, here's, here's what I've, I've, I have seen. Here's what I've experienced in the church as concerning this, this section here. The church is often disunified because of this area. And you look at some churches and they say, well, the Spirit's really moving over here because of a certain manifestation of certain Spirit gifts. And you look at, a, at another church and, and, and people say, well, the Spirit's not moving here because I don't see those things. And Scripture doesn't give us that, 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 that right to make that judgment. And this is the case I've been trying to tell you. I know you are all waiting on me to get to this point because this is what everyone wants to know, right? And to me, that's so sad. It's so sad because that's not the point. What's, what's the primary reason for the Holy Spirit? The exaltation of Christ. This is what we unify around, not about who speaks in tongues and who prophesies and who doesn't. And I, look, what, I, I, will, I will tell you about prophecy in tongues at another day. I promise you I will. I'll give you what I think is the Bible's view of it. But, it's, but that's not the point. The point is, is that there should not, should not be divisions among believers, listen, listen, about issues that are not primary to the gospel. These issues, Holy Spirit gifts, are not essential to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? I believe it with all my heart. And if you don't believe it, Paul's got something for you. Are you ready? 1 Corinthians 13. It's smack dab in the middle. He says, you're ignorant about some things. I'm going to correct how you're using the gifts in chapter 14. But right in the middle, let me tell you something. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, I have prophetic powers. I can see the future. I can tell you what's going to happen. And I understand all mysteries and knowledge. If I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. That's the heart of what Paul is saying in this whole section about Holy Spirit gifts. And this church, this messed up church at Corinth, some of their remnants make their way down into churches here, here today. And my prayer is that we would never be divided, that we would never believe. I just want to, I, I, I probably shouldn't be saying this. It's 1052, but I'm sorry. This has been a message that's been in me for a long time. We should never say. We should never make a judgment on any church and say the Holy Spirit's not there. If Christ is there, if Christ is there in the preaching of the gospel, and in the fruit of the believers there, the Spirit of Christ is there. And I know, I know, I know that, that I, am, I am not as charismatic as, as other preachers or as uh, into, uh, uh, focusing on charismatic gifts as other preachers are. And that's who God's made me to be because I believe what the Bible says. And if he wants me to have those gifts, he'll give them to me. And the same is true for you. So what should our prayer be? What should our prayer be? I feel fairly confident that we should pray this. Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's Paul saying there in Ephesians 5.18? He's contrasting. He's contrasting being controlled by something else other than the Spirit. He says, he says, you shouldn't be controlled by wine. You shouldn't be controlled by anything else. You should be controlled, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that phrase, and be filled with the Spirit, is literally translated, be being continually filled. It's, it's present. It's, it's continual. It's present and continual. Be being continually filled. So our prayer should be every day, Holy Spirit, fill my life today. Fill my life today so I can fulfill the primary ministry of the Spirit, which is to glorify Christ. Fill me today with your Spirit so I can be controlled, not by the flesh, but by your Spirit. Fill my life. You remember in Acts 2? I'm I'm closing here. In Acts 2, do you remember who stood up in Acts 2 after the Holy Spirit came? It was Peter. Do you remember Peter's life? Peter was a coward. He ran from Christ. He denied Christ three times. He didn't want to even declare that he knew Christ in front of a little small girl. He cursed. He cursed and said, I never knew him. I don't know who you're talking about. That same coward stood up 
on the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit came, he stood up and he began to preach. Look, Acts 2, 14, but Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice. He didn't want to lift up his voice before, right? Think about that. Wouldn't even talk to, wouldn't even lift up his voice to a little girl. I can see him whispering to the little girl. I don't know him. I don't know, no, stop. Why did he do that? He's afraid for his life. But now, after the resurrected Christ had, 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 had risen and, and ascended, and then the Spirit came and did what? Empowered Peter, filled Peter. What did he do? He stood up and he spoke up. He stood up and he spoke up. He lifted his voice and he dressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. The coward, he becomes a bold witness. Why? Because the Spirit filled him. And that's what we need today. We need the Spirit's filling in our life to be bold witnesses for Christ. What did Peter say when he started talking? I think this is so instructive for us. What he didn't say. When he stood up and said, he was filled with boldness and the power of the Spirit. Did he stand up and, and say, hey, you, you, do you want this gift of unintelligible languages that, that we just got? Did he say that? Did he stand up and, and, and say, hey, do you want the, the, the fire that was on top of our head? Do you want that as well? He didn't say that. What did he say? What's the purpose of the Spirit's filling? He said, repent and believe. That's what he said. So that's the filter that we should see with the Holy Spirit's work. So our prayer should be, our prayer should be that we would be filled. Would you stand with me today? The Holy Spirit's primary function is to bring glory to Christ. And I want to continually be filled with the Spirit. So this is, what I, 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 this is what I want us to do. I want us to cry out to the Holy Spirit today and ask him to fill us, to control our life, to empower us to be a bold witness. Would you pray that with me today? They're going to sing a song. And as they sing this song, as Jessica sings this song, if you, if you do feel comfortable and you feel like you can socially distance when you come down, you're, you're welcome to come down to the front. And just surrender to the Lord, to, to, to the Holy Spirit's work. If not, you stay in your seat. Just surrender in a song of worship. Over your heart is a symbol of recognition of this is the center of who you are. So, Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us. Empower us. Lord, we want to be bold witnesses. We want in our life Christ to be lifted high. We want in our world Christ to be lifted high. So, Holy Spirit, come and fill us. We want to be controlled by the, by the Holy Spirit, not by our flesh, not by our own ideas. We will be controlled by the Spirit of God. Fill our lives each and every day. Fill our church or let us be effective witnesses for Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I love you. I'll see you next week.